Welcome in, guys. Adam here, the Orlando Drummer, and this is the Orlando Drummer Podcast, Episode 2. It is good to see you guys, and um, we just wrapped up Member November. It's our biggest promotion of the year. Uh, of course, Member November, I'm um, talking about OrlandoDrummer.com, which is the one and only sponsor of this podcast. Shocker. Um, it's an online education platform, very much in the style of Netflix. There are hundreds of lessons, drumless tracks, all sorts of good stuff there. Um, it's where all of my 20s went. So that is OrlandoDrummer.com, um, and we get gave away uh, CTM's P2 Explorers, which are Bluetooth headphones. We're going to be rocking those a little later in this episode. Um, yeah, so we got a bunch of those hitting the mail here pretty soon. And yeah, we are plugging away. So excited to be on episode two. And of course, we got young Chris over here. How you doing, brother? Good. How are you? Good, good. We got a whole bunch of stuff planned for the day, I take it? Yeah, we're going to talk about some stuff. I'm excited. Um, we had a great first episode. Uh, all of the... Uh, feedback from that was awesome. It was good to hear that yeah. uh, the audience enjoyed it and they were looking forward to more. So super excited to get back in the studio and start recording again. Yeah, yeah. It, we wanted to take a little break after the first one too, not only because remember November, there was 20 pieces of content that came out during that month. We were really, really busy. Um, but we also wanted to gather feedback and sort of see what people liked, what people didn't like. And it was cool getting a lot of feedback and getting more yeah. questions in. Um, yeah, it was, it was really cool to take a little time and we intend to ramp up the frequency of these heading into the new year we don't tend to necessarily do one a month can do a lot more than that but yeah i wanted to take a little time so back in the saddle and uh yeah so i take it we're kicking off with some drum news yeah we got a little bit of drum news uh first and foremost pretty obviously well what we have that uh earthworks released a new microphone oh yeah the icon pro icon pro so i have the icon pro here um chris is on the sr 314. 314, which yeah. is actually a higher-end mic than this one. They've had that out for a little while. Uh, the Icon Pro is a, is a new mic. It's this one I have here. And I'll, I'll throw some B-roll in so you guys can actually see what that looks like. It is a... There's two versions of it. It's a USB version. And then they have the XLR version, which is phantom-powered. And these things are absolute tanks. It's like if you took a full soda can and crushed it down a little bit. It's super, super heavy, super high quality. Um, if you guys aren't on the Earthworks bandwagon, seriously go check out their mics. They are some of the highest end, just most impressive mics on the market. They make drum mics, but they also make really high end vocal mics and piano mics. And it's been interesting to watch a lot of companies that that we work with, you know, CTM and Earthworks as well, sort of making uh, somewhat of a consumer market shift, uh, making slightly cheaper products for a little bit more of like uh like these home recording sort of purposes and earthworks i love that they made like the ferrari of the the podcast broadcasting usb mic because this isn't the usb version but the usb version is 349 which a usb mic for 349 is pretty outrageous but when it's from earthworks like their quality is just unbelievable. Every mic I have from them is out of this world. It, it's, it is mind-blowing how good their microphones are. It's pretty much the only mics that I use on my main kit. Uh, I have a couple of AKG C414s that I still use, but uh, almost across the board, this studio is full of Earthworks microphones, and they're an awesome, awesome company, awesome people. Um, yeah, they've treated us really well over the years. So yeah, we got one Icon Pro in here now, um, and then we'll eventually get you an Icon Pro as well. So we'll have, have two of these in the studio, and who knows, as we get more guests and things like that, maybe we'll get uh, some more of them. But any of you guys in um, in sort of the vocal narration world, for any reason, this is brand new, and it is top of the line in this particular sector, uh, the world of like broadcasting mics. So yeah, hopefully this 
sounds good. We've only heard it back a couple times, but we're going to EQ it up. And yeah, I'm excited. It's a sick little mic, isn't it? Yeah, so far, no compression and, and no uh, external effects on these mics, and they sound phenomenal. Yep. They sound good. Yeah, man. All righty. Shout out Earthworks. Next piece of news is that Meinl, Meinl released a new Chris Coleman signature ride, the 21-inch C-squared ride. C-squared. First of all, anything Chris Coleman does, I am into it, man. He's been in my top three for, God, got to be 10 years now. Um, you know, it's funny. I heard that that ride in a video maybe a week or so ago. It's weird because it's it's not a ride I would personally play, not my favorite, not my style necessarily, but it's also one of those things where he's got such a specific sound. He plays a lot of things that I wouldn't play, like 13-inch dark heavy hats, I think is what he plays. At least they sound heavy. Um, yeah, and that ride, it's definitely not super crashable from what I heard, and it's got a super articulate, like a heavier bell to it. But man, it's it's you can just hear that it's all him. It's his style, it's his sound, and I love that. I don't need to personally like it or for me to want to put it on my kit to think it's a badass ride. Um, and he deserves it, man. That guy deserves a signature everything across the board. He's he's the epitome of somebody that that appears to be very naturally talented, but matched all that talent with all the hard work in the world, you know? Um, so I don't know. I just love Chris Coleman and, uh, I'd love to play that ride in person too. I probably shouldn't say I wouldn't like it on my kit until I actually have one or at least play it in person. So hopefully, um, I guess Nam would be the first opportunity to play something like that. But yeah, man, shout out Chris Coleman. I've met him several times, been to a couple clinics of his, um, badass human. He's a super cool guy. Love Chris. Yeah. It's a, it's a dope ride. It sounds like you said, articulate, super Heavy, tight, right? super tight, I mean, perfect in the demo that I watched. It's you. You can't. You can't not help loving the way it sounds. The sure. way he plays it. Sure, he's mastered it. And he doesn't really crash rides either. I feel like if he's gonna crash, he's crashing. You know, on an actual crash symbol. I feel like it makes sense that he wouldn't use it. He's a little bit more articulate, and he he plays a ride symbol like a ride cymbal, uses the bell, uses the flat surface, and then if he needs a crash sound, I don't know that I can remember him like crashing on a ride, just not his style, but uh, what was the name of it, C-squared? Yeah, the 21-inch C-squared ride. That's a Chris cool name. Coleman, C-C. Hell so. yeah. Oh, I get it, I get it, I'm an idiot. <laughs> uh, and then speaking of uh, top three drummers um, in your wheelhouse, and for some reason in my notes I wrote Benny Grab. But Benny Greb, oh, oh, Grabby um, Benny. <laughs> a month ago, a month ago, after we recorded the first episode of the Orlando Drummer podcast, he uh, did an Instagram live for releasing his new book, Effective Practicing for Musicians. Man, I need to grab that sucker. Yeah, I mean, Benny is like the like the Yoda of drums, where it's just everything. The points that he makes are are notoriously profound. So I'm sure that book is just full of one-liners where you're like, oh, yeah, that's actually true. Um, you know, I, I've had one sort of sit-down lesson with Benny at NAMM, not this last year, but the year before. Um, man, and just packed full of good advice and insightful information. Um, and is this book, I haven't actually seen anything about this, you know, in person. Is the book like, how is it written? Is it like a music book or is it like a novel? I think he did read an excerpt from his Instagram live. So it must have some did, written paragraphs at yeah, least. Yeah, he did uh, um, very insightful things about 
organizing your space for effective practice and understanding, you know, distractions huh. and how to organize your time a little bit better. Sure. I think it's more insightful than it is actual instruction. Sure, sure. But he lined it out to each part or each chapter has key points at the end of each chapter and exercises for you to try in sure. order to effectively um, incorporate those key points into you your know, practice. <laughs> knowing Benny, it makes sense that the book would be like hyper abstract, as in it's not necessarily um, what to practice, but it would be the how or the why, which he would address it from that standpoint, um, which, which I love because I've seen him answer questions at clinics before, like, how do I get my foot faster? And people want an exercise, but he will philosophically pull out a lot further back than that. And he's not giving you an exercise. Um, he's giving you more of, of an intention or a mindset or a framework with which to operate in. Um, it's just very Benny to do that sort of thing. So I, I need to grab that book, man. I'm sure there's a lot of good, good insights in there for sure. And especially in how his brain works, which is clearly he, he's a unique thinker uh, how he approaches this instrument. So, man, I, I can pretty shamelessly recommend that everybody just go go check that out and buy it. I don't know if he's selling it or if it's ebook available. Grab whatever version of that it is. I have no doubt that that's worth every penny. Of course it is. It's Benny yeah. Grab. You know what I'm saying? A lot of the, what he says in clinics and everything like that. It kind of leaves you with a. Oh, yeah. you get that reaction yeah. out of it because why didn't I think of that? That was sure. so simple the way sure. he described it. And he's he's a very big picture thinker, man. That's what that's what I'm saying. He's uh he's excellent at at zooming out and seeing things from a much larger perspective and that's why he has a lot of these like soul uppercut sort of points that he'll make. It's, it's very much in his style of delivery. Um, yeah, man, I need to grab that. Maybe we'll get a copy in here next time. Well, that'd be a fun little segment to pop that sucker open. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd love to read that. That'd be good uh, nighttime, daytime, midday reading. Oh, yeah. Um, and then lastly for news, uh, I believe as of two days ago, the Percussive Arts Society International Convention, also known as PASIC, PASIC. will be taking place in person. On Woo! November 10th through the 13th in the year 2021, uh, as we know, uh, this year's convention was held virtually. And okay. I didn't attend a virtual event. I yeah, don't think I'll ever cool. attend a virtual event. Uh, but uh, I don't know if anybody watching or listening to the podcast has feedback on that. I'd love to hear it. But sure. I, I don't know how a virtual convention works. I just know that I'm a fan of in-person conventions. <laughs> yeah, I don't I know. I can't yeah. wait for them to come back and... Uh, you know, I understand the reality of today's situation, but... Sure, sure. Yeah, I, it's nice when you see the hints of normalcy returning in any degree, right? Everybody's looking forward to to some sense of stability, right? Whether it's live music or anything like that. But PASIC is an epic event. And for those that don't know what PASIC is, it's effectively... Um, I don't want to call it exclusively invitation only, but it's like NAM, but mostly with pros who actually attend it. Um, and there are really, really high level like panels of musicians and audio engineers um, across the board too. It's, it's it's not just drum set players. I mean, it's percussive arts, right? So it's all sorts of stuff. But um, I've had a couple of opportunities that didn't really pan out to do things there. One of them was like a social media panel that, that fell through. It was years ago. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've always wanted to go to PASIC. I know it's like... Like the, it's like Nam, but not so mainstream. It's like a little, slightly more underground. But but there are there's a lot of badass players that go there. Uh, a lot of industry leaders that end up going there as well. So that's really exciting, man. And it's far enough away where maybe we'll go. Maybe we'll go to that one. Yeah, that'd be I, sick. I actually think that they um, they opened up like an application process to 
I think to perform or to lead some things. So, uh, and those applications close on the 19th of January. Is what okay. So got a little time. So yeah, cool. we can definitely apply to go. That'd be yeah. Cool. We'll look into that, man. I've always wanted to go to that. Always. We've got a year. Yeah. Plenty of time. All right. So that'll end the news segment of the podcast. All righty. We'll move into Q&A. 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 Yeah. So this is the part of the podcast where we answer any question given to us. These questions can come from Instagram, YouTube, or the forums of OrlandoDrummer.com. Boom. And nothing is off the table. Cool, cool. And they can email you? They can email me at uh, Chris at OrlandoDrummer.com. Cool. Easiest way to get to me. First question comes from Drew Hansen, 04. Drew Hansen. And he says, what drummers inspire you the most? Inspire me the most. I think you probably want names. That's what you would want. Like list list these specific drummers. But I really don't want to do that. I would give you a little bit more parameters um, that, that I find inspiring or that, that tend to inspire me. Um, supreme recognizability. Is that a word? recognizability that's got to be a word you understand what i'm saying um somebody that i can identify them either by their sound or by their drum set um people that that do things that are so original it becomes difficult to mistake them and i'm sure some drummers already come to mind when i say that if i played you an audio recording of a drummer whose pocket is so specific or whose mannerisms, right? Like the licks that they play, the patterns that they use, their phrasing, their textures. If all of that stuff becomes uh, really, you know, so dialed in that it's just obvious who that drummer is based off of that sound, based off of their musical voice, I think that is incredibly inspiring. Uh, Same thing with kit setups. You know, if somebody has a, a drum set that is uniquely theirs and it's been built and designed around their play style, whether that's for their band or just how they like to orchestrate and move around the kit. I think that's really cool as well. And then I would add to that, you know, what's what's deeply inspiring to me is sort of like I addressed with the Chris Coleman thing. Like I, I love seeing natural talent because life isn't that fair and there are certainly people who have freakish abilities naturally. But when that is combined with you know, obvious, like hard work. That to me is how you get some of the most incredible drummers in the world. It's, it's the natural talent combined with um, an insane work ethic. And I think that's something that a lot of artists struggle with sometimes. But when you find that rare combination of, uh, of talent and hard work, when those things blend together and you just get these super freak musicians... That to me is deeply inspiring because it shows me that somebody didn't, they weren't comfortable just relying on their natural abilities, that they also wanted more um, than what nature gave them, you know, so to speak. So uh, I like that combination as well. But, and whatever drummers come, come to mind when I describe these things, that should be the most inspiring to you as well, right? These are the, these are the freaks of our world um, that come with these natural talents, the hardest workers, people that are supremely original, supremely creative, very unique, and don't really fit inside of a mold. So for me, those are the, the most inspiring drummers. And again, hopefully some people already come to mind for you. All right, next question is from B. Thomas 27 Okay. He says, what do you look for in a practice pad? More or less bounce? Hmm. See, it's weird with practice. I have so many practice pads. I've got, I've got Evans. I've got Minel. I've got old Remo ones. I've got Movement. I've got I have so many practice pads. I really should do a practice pad giveaway. Maybe we'll do that. Um, you know, it's one of those things where they all have a function. Every single one of them has has a different function. 
So I would say the one you have to be the most careful careful of are the practice pads that let you cheat. So the ones that that have so much rebound and so much bounce that it doesn't even replicate a, a drum set. I think like a super tight snare drum, it kind of has that bounce. But, you know, you don't want to have a practice pad that's so bouncy it's kind of like cheating where you're not having to really worry about your technique because it's just throwing the sticks back up in the air. I don't know how much benefit that would necessarily have. I also think that exclusively playing on like a pillow is kind of silly because that's not what a drum set feels like either. I don't know. You're not playing six stroke rolls on a floor tom all the time. So I don't know that you necessarily need to go with no rebound at all. But I would say it kind of explored the spectrum and maybe even getting two or three practice pads might be a good idea. You know, a, a weird one too I can throw in there. I, I might have this around somewhere. Um, what is it called? Moon gel. Moon oh, gel. Moon the, gel. You remember those? The, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Moon gel took the Moon gel material and put it in a practice pad. You ever yeah. seen that? It was, God, it was the most dead thing in the world. It was yeah. it, it was like a black hole for energy. It was, it was brutal. Brutal. And I think there's a time and place for that. But I really, I would say having a spectrum of practice pads would be the best move to not just have one and, and argue that that's the best one. I don't really think that's real. I would say get um, several different practice pads, maybe two or three, or one of the reversible pads that has the bouncy side and then the dead side. And if you're really into pad work, try and space out your practice um, among all those different surfaces, because I would hate for somebody to get you know, months and months of practice in on one specific type of pad with a specific type of rebound, only to find that, that that's not what a drum set feels like. And then you sort of pigeonhole yourself into this weird technique that you had to have for that pad. So um, for me personally, I don't look for any one thing. I would just say versatility and get several pads. They're 20 bucks, buy one a month for the next three months and you will be set for literally the rest of your life. And the reflex pads, another one, that workout pad. That's another one too. Yeah. There's so many of them, man. And yeah, I think the most expensive pads in the world, what are reflexes, like 60 bucks? I think movement 60, is- 60, 70, 60, 70, yeah, this is not that crazy of an investment for something that should last the rest of your life. So grab a couple of them, grab a couple, you know? Mm-hmm. Next question comes from A. Douglas Drums. It's a deep one. Okay. When you work alone so much like you do, how do you keep from going into a, quote, social depression? Hmm, so, oh man. So, okay, on- well, first of all, let me tell you exactly how often I, I work alone. When I'm when I'm at a peak work week for me, if I'm pulling 40 or 50 hours, um, it is quite literally 40, 50 hours alone in this room. Um, you know, I, I work from home. My fiance doesn't. So it, it's pretty normal that I would have an eight or 10 hour day, 100% alone in a windowless black studio. That's pretty normal. And I would say one to two hours of that might be at the drum set. And six, seven hours of that would probably be at the computer. Sometimes I'll go inside with the dogs and be on a laptop. But um, it is, I've, I've talked about this before. It is undoubtedly a very, very lonely job. It's not one where you can hang out with other people and do this sort of stuff. It requires that you stare at a screen or be at a drum set completely alone most of the time. This is about as social as this job would ever get is something like this, right? So... On my new podcast, uh, it's called All In with Adam. It drops December 17th, which is my birthday. That's the that's the first episode. Um, after a couple episodes in, I'm going to take the Myers-Briggs test, which is a psychology profile sort of test. Um, and that will hopefully offer some insight as to how I'm able to do this. But I think my, for me personally, the answer 
to your question is that I can do this because I am deeply introverted. Um, whenever I hang out with a lot of people in like a big social setting, which I do enjoy, it is only, there's only so much of that I can do before I have to take a break from people. And I need a, a very, very large amount of alone time. It's just part of my personality. And I'm well aware that that, that helps me in this job. Not everybody is equipped that way. And I first learned this when, when COVID hit, I would have some buddies come over and they would say things like, man, I'm just so happy to like be around a person and get some social time in and hang out. And that is really hard for me to understand because I'm like, this has actually been pretty awesome, like not having anybody over for a long time. Um, so it really is personality based. And I, sometimes I feel like I have an unfair advantage in that being so introverted, it's really, really easy um, for me to, to do these kind of work weeks where I don't see anybody for a week at a time or two weeks at a time. That doesn't bother me in the slightest. But for somebody who's not in that position and it does bother you, I would say the move would have to be to prioritize your social time, to be super proactive uh, about spending time with people. Because if that's something that you value, just like I value alone time, some people would have the opposite value uh, and they would need to hang out with friends. I would say, you know, something that might work in your favor is like scheduling hangouts with friends, like literally making plans a week before in anticipation that you're gonna have a long, lonely work week and that might bother you. And so, you know, hit up, even if it's a guy friend, hit him up, make a little dinner date or come over and play, uh, what were we talking about this morning? Cyberpunk oh 2077. Play yeah. that video. Oh my God, that looks yeah. sick. You know, um, <laughs> but you know, I would say prioritize and schedule your social time, whatever that is for you. I, I think a lot of people genuinely need that. Most people do. Um, and so, yeah, I would say just uh, prioritize it, schedule it out. That has to be the move. It has to be. Uh, and if you are deeply introverted and wondering if this job is for you, it is. It is. You'll do just fine. <laughs> yeah. All right. I, I have nothing to add to that. It was, it was a good answer. Um, <laughs> uh, so that's it for the Q&A segment of the podcast. Uh, just as a reminder, you can submit your questions via Instagram, YouTube, or the members area of Orlando Drummer, or you can shoot me an email at chris at orlandodrummer.com. Yeah, man. Fire them off. Cool. All right. What do we got next? Next, we have accent or ghost. So in this segment, I'll present Adam with a largely debated topic among the drumming industry, a new product or any viewer submitted content, and mm -hmm. we'll get approval, accent, or a disapproval, ghost. Oh, yeah. All right. So first topic is high snare drums. High snare drums. Hmm. That's tough. Like See, higher than thighs, just way up yeah. there. Yeah. Well, okay. So... I, love, I think Todd Zuckerman actually had a great point about this where he said, uh, think about your kitchen counter. Like when you're deciding how high a kitchen counter goes, you almost want to make it like if you had a knife and you were chopping something like right in front of you. Like if your kitchen counter was six inches higher, it, the angle for the knife is weird. And if it's six inches lower, the angle for the knife is weird. And so I kind of think that way, like if you were building a kitchen, you would have to think about those angles of like, where do you want stuff right in front of you? Like, like food prep, you know? And I think about snare drums kind of in the same way. Like, where do your hands just naturally fall? A big variable here you have to keep in mind is rim shots. Like, do you like playing rim shots? If you don't, then that would definitely change your snare position. 
For me, I tend to not move my snare that much as much as I do my throne. I would adjust my throne. So for me, this is just how I personally set it up. I put my snare level with the floor tom, maybe three to four inches. So if you have the rack tom rim and you put your, your fist right here so the rack tom rim is right above your knuckle, then the bottom of my fist would be at like the snare rim. So like four inch gap between the top rim of the rack tom and the top rim of the snare drum. That's about where I place that. And then what I do is I basically, you know, adjust my throne to the point where I get a natural rim shot. And I like my hand to be very close to my thigh at the bottom of that rim shot. So when my stick makes contact with the head and then the rim of the drum, I basically like my hand to be like a millimeter above my thigh. Not quite touching, but as close as possible. And for me, that normally means sitting on the high side. But it really, I've also found over the years, you can get used to almost anything. Like if you adjust your throne by one inch and then you give that a week or two weeks, you'll get really used to it and then you go back down and then that feels wrong. So for anybody that, that has experienced that where you make that snare height adjustment or the throne height adjustment and it feels a little bit off, if you give it time, I swear within like six or seven days, it feels totally natural. And you might find that as you make those adjustments and sort of get used to new heights and positions, maybe you'll find something in there that you like. So I think the name of the game there is just experiment. Don't go for anything too extreme. Just try everything and be patient. Give yourself some time to figure it out. And yeah, explore the whole spectrum. You'll find something that's that's comfortable for you. So we're going to accent or ghost it? Mm, just setting them high in general. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to ghost that. Don't do it for no reason. Slow and steady. Don't do anything extreme. Yeah, just putting it high for the sake of being high. That's that's some cool kid shit. You don't need to do that. I'll say ghost it. No. <laughs> uh, we should also mention too uh, the dimensions of your body kind of matter. I'm sure. Definitely. If I'm being a, a taller, lankier person than you. If we did a side by side comparison of how my kit is set up to yours, we would yeah. see large differences. I tend to keep my throne a little bit lower, snare a little bit higher. Yeah, just to compensate for your legs, right? Yeah. 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 That makes sense. Yeah, I should have mentioned that for sure. For sure. <laughs> Um, uh, so, uh, for today's accent or ghost, uh, I have a, a slew of photos in between topics that we're going to show and they're all from, uh, Nam oddities. If you Google Nam oddities, you'll find this website. Um, it's uh, an individual who's collected some photos from Nam over the years. Okay. So go ahead. You can pull up the first photo from that. Okay. So I got the first one here. Let's see this thing. Ooh, Istanbul. So this is, I think. Is this a variation of the clap stack? Yeah, I think it is the clap stack. It is the clap yeah, stack. It's like so five or six symbols stacked five on. Five or six. One, two, three, four, five. Yeah. Man, okay, so first of all, uh, Carter McLean was where I first saw, saw first person I saw play this. So I know a lot of other people have it. Um, or a version of it. Does he play a symbol? Am I remembering that I right? I think so. I think he does. If not, yeah, it's not Dream. It's one of the like slightly more obscure ones. Yeah. This thing sounds so dope. It sounds like a sample is what it sounds like. But yeah, I love the sound of this. I think I've talked with Minel before about if they have any plans to make anything similar. Cause like, it's so dope. It sounds really, really cool. I am confused at the physics of it. I don't understand why five 
bent cymbals creates a cool sound? Like looking at that, like how do you think this would sound? If I was like, what do you think that sounds like? What would be your guess? Honestly, it would, I think it would sound like just dropping metal on the floor. But <laughs> yeah, I've heard samples of it. And I think like R. David R. made uh, his own version of it, his DIY drum I bet he channel. Did. Yeah. And it sounded like a clap. And so, I, I mean, if you want to clap, yeah, it's, it's you know there was an old JoJo Mayer uh, technique to get a clap sound. I think this beats it out. I think this is a yeah. lot easier, and it's just one extra hit. It See, works. what I love about it is I'm not a I'm not an electronics person when it comes to actually playing on the kit. I re I've owned little modules and what did I have? I had an Octopad for a while. You know, I end up just never using them. I'm really not into that. It's like a different side of my brain, the tech side versus the drumming side. So for me, like hybrid drumming stuff, it just doesn't blend that well. I either want to go all electronic or all acoustic, and I'm not good at blending them. Um, so I like this, though, because it gives you like a trap snare, but it's still like very organic, very analog. So I love this thing. I'm going to give this a heavy accent. This is cool. Sick. Really cool. Uh, okay, let's pull up the next one. Cool. <laughs> Square drums. Yeah, so I think that this photo is from 2008 NAM. Is that a D 2008? Yeah. Whoa. So it was just an offshoot company that did this and they made square drums, I guess for proof of concept. Yeah. I don't know if they're functional. I don't know if they sound good, but um, it was just taking the concept uh, of okay, drums I and changing the shape. Well, the acrylic messed me up because I finally, I, I kind of, it took me a second to see what it was. I thought it was normal drums inside of cubes. I'm like, well, what is the, not cubes, but rectangle yeah. 3D squares. And my thought was like, well, what is the point of doing that? But it's not. It's like they took a, imagine like a shoebox and then put holes on either side and then put it there. So the resonant chamber becomes cubed inside of it, right? Man, I've almost, it's so tough to accent or ghost it because I need to hear, I need to hear what that sounds like. It might sound really cool. It might sound horrible. That could go either way. See, okay, my thought would be that this would not sound that good because of the chaotic energy, right? I mean, how smooth is energy going to be flowing around inside of here? It's going to be very chaotic with all of those hard angles. Um, interesting. And what's weird is you could have made this out of wood. It would probably look a little weirder. I mean, I get it from a proof of concept point. This is probably super fun to make. A lot of fun. Especially out of acrylic, too, because you get all these weird, like, back to the cyberpunk thing. This is like a weird, like, futuristic kind of looking drum set. So, I'm going to ghost it from an audio standpoint. I don't think there's any way that this was supposed to sound good. I don't even think the people that built this thought it was going to sound good. But from a design standpoint and aesthetics, I'll give it an accent. It's, it's pretty sick. You can make a dope little... uh Make those drum chandeliers. You ever seen those things? You can make something sick yeah, with that. Yeah, yeah. it's cool. It's drum, cool. Drum furniture. Yeah. So uh, before we get to the last photo, uh, we'll do some topics. Um, the Duelist double drum pedal. The Duelist. Okay, so I'll tell you what I know about that. I don't know a ton about it. The isn't it like on the return of the pedal? There's a second stroke. Yes. Right? That's it's the two beaters and a single pedal. Gotcha. Allowing you to do doubles pretty quick with one foot so that you have better hi-hat control. So it would double your subdivision effectively. Yes. Right? So if you're playing 16th steady, up, down, up, down, up, down, it would double that and create twice the notes. That doesn't really bother me that much. I think 
if you really think about it, the concept of a bass drum is already like air quotes cheating in that you're using technology that you're already over the line where you need this piece of tech in order to accomplish something that you probably couldn't otherwise. Without the return of that spring, you're you're not gonna be able to get a beater, you know, very quickly up and down off of a head like that because the way that a, a kick drum is oriented where it's vertical, you know, you don't have this like gravity rebound situation. It's kind of apples and oranges when compared to rebounding, um, you know, straight up and down with sticks off of like these these horizontal like flat heads. So in my eyes, like you're already using technology to cheat in a weird way. I use the word cheat, not that I think it's cheating, but um, sort of crossing over the line of like this, of our own biology, right? Your foot can't naturally do that. You need this piece of tech in order to accomplish it. So it doesn't bother me that someone invented something that, that sort of messes with it. You know, I think the problem that I would have with it is that if you become married to that piece of technology and the things that you play and how you play them, and your skill level and your musicianship, your musical identity is all married into that specific piece of tech. You know, that I don't necessarily love. That's a little too bionic for me, where I would hope that if we take away all of these things and I give you a cajon or I give you bongos or I give you a little foot shaker, like, can you still like hold a high level of musicianship without that technology? I think if that's the case, then I think you're free to use it as you want. But yeah, I guess I just don't like the idea of being fully married um, to that piece of tech. It's a little specific for me. But I'm not mad that it exists at all, and I think anybody should use it if you want to use it. So I'll give it the accent. It's a dope invention. I actually want to know how it works. I don't know how that Shit. thing works at all. Yeah, engineering, man. That's some wild engineering. And I will do a photo. We'll do the last photo. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this okay. is a Vox drum set. Let's pull this sucker up. Vox. Oh, these melty kick drums. They did this back, what was it, like 60s or 70s? You know, when I went to Memphis Drum Shop, I've been there twice, done the My Symbol gig. If you ever get a chance to go to Memphis Drum Shop, please do. It is such a cool shop. And it's it's half a drum shop and half like a museum. There's a lot of gear in there that is not for sale. It's literally just to to see, like they uh, they collect there. But... Yeah, they had several of these. There's also a brand, it started with what, T-R-I, I wanna say Trident, but I don't think that's it. Try something, somebody in the comments, let me know what that brand is. Tay, but, is it Tay? No, not Tay, it was T-R something, Tra, I don't know. We should have researched it, but it, yeah, they, they a few companies did this, and it's, it's kind of the same as the square thing, right? Like. I don't know that there's an argument that this is supposed to sound good, but it does look sick. And my thought would be that this was probably born out of the psychedelic era of the 60s and 70s. Um, somebody was probably tripping and saw a melted kick drum and was like, hey, we could make that. <laughs> I guess you can. I My first question would be, how do you make this? Is it Is it like a mold where it just turns out sort of like what gravity and physics do to it? Or is it intentional where somebody like traced out a weird egg-shaped sort of pattern and then made it? I don't know. I would think the symmetry of a natural circle would, would sound the best because it would manage the energy in the most like efficient way. But I do wonder how these sound. Every time I've seen one of these, they're, well, this was at Nam, but every time I've seen one, they are... They're like antiques, so they're not meant to be played. I've also seen them at uh, Bentley's in Fresno, California, also a dope shop with a lot of stuff that is not for sale. Um, they have some of these as well. They're cool, man. I, I think it's uh, 
it's just a weird like freakish thing in the drum industry. So I'll put it in the same category as that the the square sort of uh, sort of kit that we saw. I think the from a design standpoint, hard accent, super awesome. From a functional standpoint, hard ghost. Nobody's bringing this to a show, but it's cool. It's really yeah, cool. I'm sure super fanboys will hate you, and we'll hear about it, and then it sounds great. <laughs> It sounds the kit is unmashable. You can't even eat it. Unmashable? It came mashed, bro. It showed up. Oh, mashed. matchable, matchable. Oh, okay. uh, I'm, uh, I'm unmashable. Uh, and then the last topic uh, on Accent or Ghost uh, 2916 time signature. 2916. Oh, good Lord. I will say. Before you start thinking, uh, Pliny uh, came out with a new album okay. or an EP a while ago, and yeah. their drummer Chris um, had a video explaining like why twenty nine sixteen was a good time signature for like groove possibilities, and you can find that on YouTube. Chris is an amazing drummer, real groovy. Okay, um, but it it, it kind of hard to count kind of a weird number <laughs> a little yeah so okay so let's talk this out so if you were to 2916 so if you were to try and simplify that you can't because you would be in half of 29 yeah it, that wouldn't really be divisible that way so that is the most simplified version of that that you could get if you bump it up one and imagine you were in 3016 you could simplify that to what 158 which kind of makes sense but God, yeah, 29 16th notes. So my first question would be, how are you dividing the measure? Um, probably, oh God. Well, it's, uh, it's seven, seven, eight, seven. Okay, see, that's just a weird way to say seven, seven, eight, seven, because you could also frame that as two measures of seven, eight, a measure of four, four, and then another measure of seven. You could frame it out that way if you wanted to, but Depending on how they're phrasing it, the math might dictate that you have to stay twenty nine sixteen. You know, it's yeah that it you get into this like musical elitism territory, and I'm glad that that world exists. That is Pliny for sure. That's Chan. That's Animals as Leaders. That's a lot of that stuff. And I'm glad we have people out there pushing those boundaries. But that is it's also one type of musician you can be. Um, you know, another type. It's on the total opposite end of the spectrum. Would be like like a pop country singer songwriter and clearly the level of like musical difficulty is not the same like technical ability of course that's not the same but we're talking about two different types of musical challenges right one of them is to write a song that 100 million people will enjoy listening to that is a very very tall order another tall order of a totally different magnitude would be to write a song in 2916, right? So this is just, it's almost apples and oranges. And I think you gotta give credit to both ends of that spectrum because, you know, while Michael Jackson songs are not technically difficult, you can't write that because you're not Michael Jackson. Me neither, right? So, yeah, I mean, I'm glad that there are people that, that do those sort of things. It's it's awesome. It's not like I can't sit down and enjoy the, those those sort of high level musical executions and writing and all these rhythmic puzzles that people are into. Um, for me, I tend to leave lean a little bit more towards like the pop side, where the challenge I would enjoy taking on would not be something that is difficult and technical for the sake of being difficult and technical and all of the challenges that come with that. I would enjoy the challenge of writing something that is universally loved. That, that's a more appealing challenge to me. But I think you got to give give 
credit and respect to both sides of that. So I'll give it the accent just based off of how hard that must have been. That's a lot of thought that goes into something like that. Very challenging for sure. Do I want to learn it? No, I don't, I don't want to learn it. <laughs> yeah, just levels of nerdiness. That's, that's a good way to say that. Levels of nerdiness. How much of a musical nerd do you want to be, you know? Yeah, music for musicians and then there's yeah. music for the general population. Correct. That phrase is really important. Music for musicians. That's the yeah. thing. And, you know, I, I don't want to live in a world without animals as leaders or Pliny or any of those. I'm glad there's people that do that do that sort of stuff. You know, another version, I'll just give one other example, is like you can find these extremes in all sorts of stuff. Like uh, bodybuilding is a good example or fitness. Like a, let's just say we're guys, so we'll talk guys. Like if you and I work out and we were to get into like peak physical shape, there's a certain like level of fitness that would be universally appealing, right? Like a certain amount of muscle, a certain amount of leanness where kind of most people in the world would say, man, that guy's in really good shape. But then you go to like, Rich Piana, Kai Green, Big Phil, like you go into these like like roided out like freakish Mr. Olympia level bodybuilders and it's these are not they're not doing that so you think they're attractive. This is like extremism within the sport, right? And so I, I kind of look at like some of those higher level like ultra crazy prog metal players as like those guys like this isn't for everybody it's not supposed to be it's for people that are into this world um, and i think that's cool i think it's cool that there's all of there's that whole spectrum there yeah you just got to give credit to people on either end of that yeah yeah that's a weird analogy but you get it you know. uh, i can say like another analogy too is that uh, if you take like formula one drivers for instance um in comparison to you know, your regular Joe with a modded out Subaru BRZ, he's chasing tenths of a second. And Formula One drivers are chasing thousandths of a second. Yeah. Whereas musicians to that high caliber are chasing time signatures in 30 seconds and 64th. Sure. Um, Hyper specific goals. Yeah, yeah. Time signatures that they just, they want to prove that they can do it and also make it sound good. So, yeah. Yeah. No, that's, a, that's a good analogy. Yeah. Different strokes, you know. For different <laughs> folks. All right, that does it for Accent and Ghost. I think that was awesome. Okay. Uh, we had some weird ones there. Yeah. Um, and that will move us on to Sleeper Spotlight. Sleeper Spotlight. Uh, so, Let's do it. Yeah. In this segment, we introduce a drummer that y'all are sleeping on. And we get Adam's opinions, impressions, and maybe even some trash talk. All right. Trashing everybody. Yeah. So it's exciting. So you've got some files on your computer there. Go ahead and okay. open up uh, the first by Riley. Cool. This is Riley Does Drums. All right. Here we go, Riley. I play a group really similar to that. I like that group. Frankenstein kid. Good, 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 good. good man, clean. Concepts, man. Oh. Ah. Mm -hmm. 
That was sick. Yeah. Really cool. The kid shreds. Yeah, definitely a lot of cool concepts in there. Heard three over 16 a couple of times and some that funky modulation at the end. Also very fast and clean. Um, reminded me of a sort of a dynamic texture similar to um, Andy Prado. Kind of in that that wheelhouse of like, uh, I don't know, something about like the the steadiness of the ghosts as he moves around like not a lot of waviness even in those really fast phrases like kind of bumps to this like a six on the dynamic level like a little louder but still maintains a lot of that power uh really fluent man that was super super cool and the kit sounds good i don't see mics it's like an iphone video yeah yeah but uh that kit must be tuned well man that those toms sounded fantastic that was super cool we got one more from riley too let's see He young? I think he's like 16. Oh, 15. shut. I would confirm, Riley. <laughs> I'm not. I, your age isn't in your bio. Hear them's like loud ghosts, you know. good man you know what i love the most about this is like i don't mean this is like a rude way but like this is the antithesis of doing a cover it is you sitting down and talking talking and it's not just about chops it's not just about going fast like it's a little beyond that i mean like the the philosophical perspective that that i get to hear what you sound like this is you sitting down and saying something you know i really really like that and again not about chops not necessarily about speed it's just to hear somebody's organic voice and a flow of thoughts coming out of them in this rhythmic language i love that sort of thing um very much in the style of you know the whole modern shredder crew which would be forrest rice uh chris Proprota, andy prado mason gidry like that whole crew of guys, there's several others in there that I'm probably forgetting, but um, talkers, talkers, they sit down and they chat on the drum set. I love that sort of style. Um, and yeah, to me, it's, it's like the antithesis of doing a cover. It is not really for your entertainment. It's a, um, it's a, an expression of thought through the rhythmic language voiced through a drum set. I love that, man. It's one of my personal favorite things about this instrument is hearing somebody talk like that. So yeah, Riley, you shred, man. That's awesome. I'm gonna check out more more of his videos. And he does look young, younger than me. So dude, you shred. That's awesome. That's a good one. <laughs> uh, strong start. Next one, yeah. uh, Brian Evans drums. So we got three videos from Brian. Three videos from Brian, yep. number one. He's at a shed. That was the other audio for the other drum. Green acrylic? What is this kit? Oh, he shreds, man, too. Same category, too, of these, like, modern choppers. You can hear the, like... 
uh, somebody that like learned chops from 2012 and a little bit later. You know, you can hear a lot of that stuff in there. Super, super cool, man. He's a little more flowy than the last one than Riley a little bit more on the flowy side and I like that I like some of the subdivisions changes up and down that sort of stuff um very tasteful and thoughtful for sure not quite as busy but yeah I liked a lot of his ideas for sure we got two other videos so let's yeah, yeah. let's check out the next one also and you have any guess what this kid is green acrylic with like these mini DW lugs uh, so it, uh, whenever I see a green acrylic kit it always reminds me of uh, I think his name's David McMillan who did a lot of YouTube covers back when like in the early days of YouTube yeah. he had a green acrylic kit it was an Orange County drums and percussion kit okay and uh, he's done a lot of covers on YouTube too you can check him out that's what that always reminds me of so it could be Orange County drums and percussion could be like pork pie I don't really know yeah yeah I like tinted acrylic I think that's cool yeah it's a cool look alright let's go to the second video Oh, that water bottle mute. Thin kick, too. Sneaky little triplet change in there. Oh, the roto tom. I didn't even see that. Deep pocket, man. It's great feel. Oh man, that, that was yeah. so that was so Forest Rice that little uh that what was that crash on the E at the end? Yeah, yeah, I like that man. Deep pocket, really clean subdivision changes. Um, very intentional playing too. Like it's improvised, but like meaning every note. You know, um, great player, man. These are awesome. Uh, number three from Brian. Let's check this one out. JD Beckish vibes on that. Very forest with those like punch crashes. It reminds me of forest a lot. The hair might be getting me too a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Also, some of the like like swoop reaches, the big bigger sort of motions. Really cool, man. This is another weird kit. Yeah, we got three different kit setups on here. That's that's pretty cool. Um, dude, awesome player. Very, very expressive, too. You're saying a, a lot of interesting things, Brian, for sure. I, this is awesome player, man. High level, high level player. That was absolutely dope. All right, let's do, uh, we got the third one. Yeah, so this is Gareth Grover. He's actually the drummer for... Uh punk band frank carter and the rattlesnakes frank um, carter and the rattlesnakes really really dope okay. really 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 dope drummer um clean and versatile in his skills uh and i'm uh, just gonna check out his playing so sure okay first video from gareth those toms sound good this sounds like a part written for a band or a song yeah probably Yeah, it sounds like it, it should have music against it, like it's written for a part. Yeah, it sounds like a, a chorus or a verse. You can hear something against it. Cool, that was absolutely sick. That was really, really cool. I don't know how you could, I don't know what it is that makes it like you can tell that, that was like a, a band part or something. Yeah. Probably something to do with like how rehearsed it is. Maybe that's it. It sounded so clean. It's like, oh, you're playing something like that you know what you're playing already. That was really, really cool though. Um, well written too. It was interesting. Very interesting. Let's do Gareth's second video. 
back when live music existed. Definitely a, like a very seasoned player. You can hear like this veteran quality in some of those things. He's also using some concepts like kick and hand singles between the, the kick and the hi-hat, like that sort of stuff at high speeds. That's a ballsy thing to pull out live. Like that's a high risk thing to do. It's very difficult. So seeing some of those concepts executed not in a practice room where you can delete the take if it doesn't work out, but seeing that executed live on stage, to me says that you're like he's a veteran in a lot of ways because mm. like i don't even know if i would pull out a concept quite that difficult in a live scenario i'm like Whoo, this could go wrong but in the studio i'll do it because i can i can delete the recording if i fuck it up but you know in a situation like that that's like man that's it's a very ballsy thing to do i think uh that guy's been playing a long long time so really mature player with some awesome concepts for sure um, and you could hear the dynamics of the solo sort of swell up and down, all very, very intentional. Man, you found you found some shredders this week. All these guys were absolutely yeah. sick, man. Yeah, and we, I mean, we talked about versatility just a second ago, but the fact that you mentioned that he's got trap influenced in that solo, mm -hmm. he's a punk drummer. All the yeah. songs are punk songs. Right? Interesting. That I wouldn't call that a punk solo, yeah. but if he's snugging in a punk show, yeah, yeah. that's that's awesome, man. Killed very, it. very cool. Killed it. Hell yeah, these were sick, man. So. Yeah, and that'll end it for Sleep a Spotlight. Cool. We'll have more next time. I'm continuously scouring Instagram and the interwebs to try and find some great drummers. So if you know of any, hit me up at chris at orlandodrummer.com. Yes, sir. And I'll give it to you to close out the podcast. Shut it down. Yeah, man. Well, you know what I'm working on this week? I'm actually working on... Um other than this podcast, I'm working on Timekeepers episode five for a new watch from Seven Friday. Shout out to Seven Friday. Um, and it's cool. There's a little bit of an analogy in there that I'll, I'll share with you guys here. Um, the watch that I'm, I'm, that I'm doing this video on is inspired by the valve, like a plumbing valve. And I'm sort of working through this analogy of like, imagine what life would be like without certain pieces of technology. And in doing so, I try to compare this to, you know, to the drum set and bring it onto the kit and say, well, what kind of inventions and technologies uh, or components of the kit would we have a hard time, you know, playing the drums without? And it's, it's been fascinating doing like a little bit of a history lesson or some history research uh, this week on different components of the drum set. Everything from the screw, like the, like, Tuning lugs, you know, like when was the screw invented? Like, oh, 350 BC. That's how long human beings have been <laughs> have been working with screws. Um, invention of the spring, the invention of the mylar drum head, um, the history of cymbals, which I, I knew a little bit more about that, but going through different components of the drum set, uh, components of woodworking and bearing edges, and how did people invent uh, and sort of discover some of these technologies and and 
you know, what is it that we take for granted? And my conclusion there is kind of everything, everything we take for granted when it comes to uh, the standpoint of, of technological innovations that are on the drum set. So it's cool. It's been a little like uh, a good dose of gratitude this week, sitting down at the kit and looking at all these components and going, man, how difficult would it be to be a drummer without any of these inventions? Um, and, and they're inventions and innovations and discoveries by um, people that we don't really talk about that much. And, you know, I, I tend to be a, a modernist in a lot of ways where I'm, I don't nerd out over like drummers from a very long time ago necessarily. Um, but it's interesting because my, my head this week has, has been on um, other people in the drum industry, inventors that that have given us things that we really are all guilty of taking for granted. So I just wanted to share that with you guys as we close this out. Um, you know, definitely check out that episode of Timekeepers. It'll come out in about a week or so. Uh, but yeah, it's been really cool this week to to sit down at the kit and to feel grateful um, for all of these people, many of whom aren't alive anymore, who invented or contributed to some of these awesome technologies and and innovations, different components on the drum set that we don't even think about anymore, but we owe those people a lot. So it's made me feel really grateful this week. And yeah, some food for thought. Maybe uh, maybe you guys get a dose of gratitude as well. It's been really cool. So yeah, man, I think that'll wrap it up for this episode. I think we're good. Cool. Cool. So this has been episode two of the Orlando Drummer Podcast. Thank you guys for tuning in, and we will catch you in the next one. Later. <laughs>